Hello, friend. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Zach Holt, and this is Come to the Table. Some of our most intimate conversations happen at the kitchen table. Our walls crumble and space is created to know one another more deeply. Our hurt and our heartache is replaced by hope and healing as we pull up a chair, let down our guard, and simply be who we are, where we are. In our time together, we're going to step into the shoes of others through recovery stories of redemption, offer resources and connections for those in need, and come together as a community starving for revival in our region. So if you're hungry, you came to the right place. Well, this is our very first episode, and uh, really, really excited about this new opportunity uh, that has made just kind of fallen into our laps. And it's uh, something that came up a, about a year and a half ago. Uh, we began conversations about possibly uh, coming on EHC and super excited uh, about working with them and uh, being also broadcast in Wise FM. So it's really, really cool how uh, God has just kind of moved to open this door. And the time didn't wasn't right a year ago, and, and then it just sort of fell and clicked right into place. Um, so I'm really excited to, to start this new journey with you guys. And I thought that for today, uh, what we would do is share a little bit about my personal story uh, kind of frame a little bit of hopes for the show and then kind of set up for uh, future interviews and different conversations that we'll look forward to having. So um, in that way, uh, why don't I just start off and let you get to know me a little bit. So as I said, my name is Zach Holt and I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, had two really, really great parents, uh, Gypsy and Fred Holt. Um, and uh, about the age of 13, I really kind of started wrestling. I, I had a lot of support in my life, um, but I was wrestling questions that most any 13-year-old would have been wrestling with. I wrestled with questions of acceptance, significance, and security. Started asking, you know, hey, well, will anyone accept me? Does anybody even like me? Uh, do I have any meaning? Like, what's the meaning to my life? Is there any value here? Um, and like, what do I look to when I'm anxious and when I'm upset? What, are the, what do I look to when I need to cope and when I need to feel safe? And so these questions of acceptance, significance, and security, you're going to hear not just themes in my story, uh, but next week whenever we interview Brandon, uh, you'll hear the same concerns from him. And week after week after week, you'll hear these common fundamental things that seem to just crop up in people's lives. And how we choose to deal with these things is going to make a huge difference uh, in our lives. Lives. And for many of us who have fallen into the pit of addiction, uh, we'll see that these themes are triggers uh, that cause patterns. Uh, and over and over and over again, we find ourselves in the same spot. So when I was about 13 and wrestling with these questions, uh, I kind of struggled to fit in and I struggled to find community and I struggled to feel like I belonged. Uh, and lo and behold, I found a, a solace, a false I would say, a false solace um, in abusing medication, abusing marijuana, um, abusing harder narcotics that were available in Richmond at the time. And in that moment of my early experimentation, I thought that I found what I was looking for. I had found a group of people that seemed to accept me. I found like I had value and I had meaning because I had people who accepted me and wanted to be near me. And then I had security. So as I wrestled with not feeling safe and feeling anxious and feeling depressed, um, those narcotics made me feel safe. It was like a warm blanket was wrapped around me. And so I kind of dove into the drug culture. I dove into that world and um, 
very soon I noticed that things began to progress a little quicker than I ever thought that they would have. You know, when I first started off, I, I told people that it was kind of like a, a Bud Light commercial and the people were pretty and it was during the daytime and it was all fun and games. Uh, as I move through my story, you'll hear that it hits a point where it's no longer fun and games, where it becomes very, very real. Um, so as I continued through my high school days uh, partying and, and began to lose interest in some of the things that I once found life-giving, I uh, grew up in, in a tennis family. My dad played tennis and his dad played tennis and my uncles played tennis. And, uh, and, and so I really enjoyed sports and was involved with that, had potential in that. But once I started using drugs, it's like those things that I used to care about, they no longer had any meaning for me anymore because all I cared about uh, was getting more drugs. Um, and so I began to kind of isolate from those positive things in my life and began to cling to those things that were trying to steal and kill and destroy the joy uh, that I would later discover uh, through a life with Christ. And as I began to spin out further and further and further, um, I found myself in a new space, in a new season, and we moved from Richmond, Virginia. We ended up in Southwest Virginia. Uh, love Southwest Virginia now, uh, but we moved into Damascus, Virginia, a small house that we were renting there while we were renovating space uh, at our house in Abingdon, Virginia. And so I lived there, and it was a hard shift for me from Richmond to Damascus. Uh, so I struggled again with feelings of acceptance, significance, and security. Now, long about the time that I moved was time for me to start college. So I was at East Tennessee State University, and I went down there, commuted back and forth. I had a daughter in high school, uh, my senior year of high school. And so I graduated high school, and we moved out to this new town, this new place with a new baby. Uh, and I kind of was like, where is all this going? Like, where, where is my life headed? And I had no idea what was ahead. And so very quickly I searched for community. The only community that I knew was that drug community. And so even through college, um, I still was partying far more than I should have, looking to the wrong things. And it was like, even amidst all of that, there was this silent voice that called me to something better, called me to something more that affirmed love, uh, that assured me of a plan and of a vision, but I just wasn't ready to quit doing what I was doing yet. I wasn't ready to surrender. I wasn't ready to lay it all down. And so I kind of was in this space where I had the sense that I was being pulled and created and made for something more, something bigger, something better. But I just persisted in this party because it temporarily fixed and satisfied the answers to those questions of longing that I expressed earlier. So I made it through college and by the time I finished college, uh, 2007, uh, it was May 22nd of 2007, and at this point I was using heavily, uh, far more than just on weekends. And um, you know, if you had asked me now, I would have told you that I was uh, I was an addict uh, back then. But May 22nd, 2007, things took a really dark turn. Uh, I was free climbing near Alvarado, Virginia, and I was about 35, 40 feet up, free climbing with no ropes in the woods by myself. What could go wrong? Right. And so I get up near the top of the rock face and what I thought was solid rock was just shale. So as I put my weight on the shale, it 
broke loose and I fell straight down the rock face. I landed, had fractured legs, had spinal cord damage, had a burst fracture in my T12 vertebrae. And so here I am laying on the ground, screaming out, nobody can hear me in the middle of the woods um, because I was young and 10 foot tall and bulletproof and what could go wrong free climbing in the middle of the woods. And so they came and they put me on the back of a John Deere Gator. Somebody, a biker on the creeper trail heard me crying. And uh, so they put me on the back of the John Deere Gator and they took me back to the hospital and things began to slow way down because I remember the light blue scrubs of the nurse. I remember the, the beeping of the heart monitor. I remember all the wires and machines and everything around. And then I remember the moment that the medication hit my system. I remember the moment that the Dilaudid was pushed and that was the moment where I felt like I found everything that I was ever looking for. I felt like that I had found my meaning and my purpose and my value and my safety all rolled up into this amazing chemical. And in an instant, it felt like I was receiving a hug from my grandmother. And in that moment of being swept up in euphoria, I realized that I never wanted to let that feeling go. So after my surgery, <clears throat> I was released and uh, got back home and uh, was released with uh, pretty strong pain medications uh, and I fell in love. And it, it, it began this long span um, of, we, we say in recovery that, that one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And right out the gate, um, I was overusing and I was abusing. I was going through physical therapy and no matter how many med meds that they gave me, it, it was never enough. And in the midst of all of that, something else was going on because I, I felt so blessed and so lucky because the doctor said that I, you know, I may not walk again, I may not have this function, I may never be able to do that. But I was, I was healing and I was recovering and I was growing stronger uh, physically. And so I felt like I owed God something. I felt like I owed a debt. Uh, I felt like that he had spared me and saved me from paralysis, uh, from death. Um, and so I kind of felt like I was being pulled to something. I remember whenever I was a really little kid and uh, I told my mom that I wanted to be a baseball player and a preacher, that I wanted to be a baseball player during the baseball season. I was going to play uh, for the Atlanta Braves. I was going to be a catcher. And in the off season, I, I would be a preacher. And that's what I was going to do. Uh, but like the story of Jonah, I had to run far, far, far away uh, before I finally realized uh, what was really going on. Um, and so I felt this calling in that moment. I felt like God was pulling me to something more, something bigger, something beautiful. But I was caught in this space where uh, I fell in love with the narcotics that were being prescribed to me. And, and I was content and I was satisfied and I was safe and I had meaning and I had value. And all of that was wrapped up in my activity. All of that was wrapped up in my addictive behaviors. And so it was really hard for me to fully pursue what God had for my life uh, while I was still chasing after more and more and more pills. Um, so in the midst of all of that, I thought, well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm okay to, to try and go to seminary, to try and go to school, and, and I can work all this out, and I, I've got it under control. I think I can manage this. And so I moved with my daughter uh, down to Atlanta, and I went to a theological seminary down there for a little bit. 
um, connected with the wrong kind of person that I was trying to help. I was trying to be there for, uh, and he led me into uh, very dark spaces in Atlanta um, where some demons got a hold of me, and uh, and I fell really fast and really hard and bottomed out and uh, had to leave seminary, tail between my legs. Uh, so I came back home to Abingdon and uh, got my act together, so to speak. Uh, there's no uh, act together when you're in addiction. I just kind of maintained. I wasn't, you know, being disruptive or anything, you know, causing wild trouble or any of that. I was just taking my medicine from my four different doctors like a normal person. And uh, so as I was going on, after a while, I thought, well, hey, uh, I still feel like maybe God has something for me. So I'm going to go back to seminary again. Uh, well, if you know the definition of insanity from Albert Einstein, it's repeating the same thing over again, expecting a different result. And so the same thing happened again at a different seminary. So I came back home, and this time I was I was busted. Uh, I had misplaced anger towards God. Uh, I thought that he, you know, God, you prepared me for this. God, you called me for this. Like what in the world? Like I thought that you had chosen me for this and this and this. You know, and unfortunately, you can't defeat what you don't define. And so I was trying to fight God. I was trying to fight everything and everybody. And as my life spiraled further and further down into the depths of darkness, I was fighting everything and everybody, but I wasn't ever looking in the mirror. So when the IV narcotics came in, uh, everything that I thought that I knew about myself went out the window. Uh, one by one, the list of things that I said that I would never do, uh, well, I did them, um, you know, and no matter how bad those consequences got, it was never enough to open my eyes. You would think that at the moment where everything you own is in a black trash bag and you're walking down the side of the road, you would think that that would wake you up, that you would say, yep, this is not the life that I want. I uh, came from a good family. I've got a good future. And, you know, but it wasn't. You would think that when you are behind Walmart and you're ripping apart a refrigerator box to make a sign, uh, that that would wake you up. That that sound is so distinctive of a, of a marker squeaking on a piece of cardboard. I'll never forget that. And you would think that when people are staring through you while you're holding a cardboard sign, like you'd think that that would wake you up, that that sense of invisibility that was so crazy is that that acceptance and that significance and that security that I thought I found in narcotics, when I was at my lowest, I had none of those things. I felt like that nobody accepted me, nobody wanted me, that I had been thrown away, cast aside and left out, forsaken and forgotten. I thought that I had no significance, no meaning, no value, no purpose, and absolutely no security. I never felt safe and I had no way of coping with all of the feelings that I was feeling. And so I used more to mask that lack of acceptance, lack of significance, and lack of security. And so things continued just to go on and on and on. And I would try to go to treatment and I would go through that and I would get out and go right back to the same thing. And over and over again, whether I was in a, a medical detox facility or an inpatient treatment facility and just all of these treatment contacts and, and nothing was seeming to work. Um, things continued to escalate. Um, began introducing, uh, getting introduced uh, to, to heroin and methamphetamine, and it blew the lid off of my life. And I was in such a dark place. I was so alone. Uh, I was terrified. The things I was doing, just awful things, uh, 
just to get high, just to make it by another day. I was so deep in bondage. I was captive uh, to those narcotics and I couldn't see any way out. So at this time I was on probation and I was looking at a substantial amount of, of time ahead and uh, that wasn't enough either <laughs> to get me to stop, to get me to wake up. And so I got a call from my probation officer and my probation officer asked me to come in and report uh, for a drug screen, which I was undoubtedly going to fail. Um, and so I had a moment of truth, a moment of clarity, we call it in recovery. And I thought, you know, wow, for once I'm going to tell the truth. Uh, I heard God saying that in the midst of all that darkness. He said, just be honest, go tell the truth. So I walked up to my probation officer and I let her know what was going on. She said, Zach, I can help you. Because um, I told her, I said, look, I'm, you know, I've had, you know, overdoses and, and nothing is working. I'm in and out of treatment and out of homelessness and, you know, IV drug user. What can you help me? And uh, so the help that she provided was not the help that I wanted but it was exactly the help that I needed. So as I heard the handcuffs jingling around the corner and the deputy coming to arrest me, my heart sank uh, and I became very angry uh, as they carted me off to jail. So I'll take a pause here in, in the middle of sharing a bit of my story and just wanna remind you and thank you that you're listening to Come to the Table uh, on WEHC 90.7 and Wise FM 90.5. And I'm your host, Zach Holt. So when I ended up in jail that time, I was just so mad. I was so mad at everything and everybody, mad at the probation officer, mad at God, mad at my everybody. But you can't defeat what you don't define. Uh, So sat in there without bond for about 40 days. And on the 40th day that I was in there, if you know, uh, if you're a, a reader of the Bible, you would know that the number 40 has some special significance. And the 40th day of my incarceration was no different. Uh, I had a cellmate who uh, saw, thought I saw stole a, a honey bun from underneath his mat. And so he punched me in the mouth. He broke my jaw, uh, hit me harder than I've ever been hit in my entire life. And my eyes were opened. For the first time, I was able to see. I was able to see not just the life that I was living, the tears my mother shed, the, the longing of my daughter to have her daddy and her life. Um, but I saw the beauty of Jesus in that moment. Um, I didn't see condemnation. I didn't see judgment. I didn't see any of that. I saw love and I saw acceptance and I saw inclusion. And it was in that moment that I felt accepted, that I felt significant, and that I felt safe. So it was in that moment that all the false lies um, of addiction, all those things that I had believed all of those years, they all fell away. And I was able to step out a free man I was able to step out in that freedom uh, that God gave me in that moment, this gift of his grace that I could never have earned. I couldn't have learned it. Uh, and I definitely you know, couldn't have done anything to acquire it on my own, but it, it was just a gift. And I don't know how else to explain it. And so for three days, uh, jaw broken, swollen out, looking like a chipmunk. Uh, and I fasted and I prayed uh, and I cried out to God. Um, for the first time, I really cried out, you know, because I think a lot of us, we... We want God to be our savior, but we don't really want him to be the Lord of our life. We want him to bail us out uh, when we get pulled over uh, or when we're worried about a pregnancy test or uh, our rent coming due. Uh, But coming under him as Lord is something different. And I'd never done that before. I'd never put myself entirely in God's hands and said, Lord, here I am. You can have all of me. 
because I had been beat down and busted up. I was so desperate. I said, God, whatever you need me to do, wherever you need me to go, I'm yours. And so on the morning of the third day, after having my jaw broken, a drug court representative came in, Chris Brown, uh, and uh, he gave me the opportunity to come out, uh, come out of that tomb, uh, that prison cell, and step out into the light to come back in with my family, move back in with mom and dad, be part of this 18-month program where I would be subjected to you know, multiple screens, urine screens per week, report to a probation officer, have some clinical groups, meeting requirements. And I stopped him halfway through him telling me about it. And I said, whatever I have to do, I'm good. I'm good. If you need me every day, uh, I'll, I'll give you a urine screen. Just please just tell me what I need to do. I, I can't live this way anymore. And so I left jail uh, for the last time until recently when I started going back in voluntarily, I'll say. Uh, and I went back home with mom and dad and and I never looked back. Um, I found this freedom that I never thought possible. Um, but you know, we're not really truly free until we're helping others find freedom. So after a couple of years of, of growing and becoming stronger, doors began to open for me to pour into others what had so freely been poured into my life. Uh, you know, there's a, a story at the end of, of the, a line at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, where in this narrative, Jesus says, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so I look back at my life and I can see how, how God has just been so faithful to open these doors uh, for me to connect with others who are now where I once was. So about two years into my recovery, I began pouring into people, connecting with people, uh, visiting ladies in a nursing home. Any opportunity that I had to serve others, uh, I freely did it because it wasn't my life anymore. I, I destroyed my life and the decisions that I were making were horrible. I had, I had been lost, and, but then I'd been found in, in a really amazing way. And so out of that foundness, I wanted to step into the lostness of others and, and be a beacon of hope, be a reminder to them that, that hope is here, uh, that redemption is possible, that there is beauty from ashes, there is light that can come out of darkness. And so amidst this desire to just want to see people come to life, dry bones, uh, be made whole again, be made to live again, uh, to see this happen uh, began a simple ministry uh, about three years ago. Uh, we called it The Table. And we were partnering with Bristol Lifestyle Recovery, which had not yet opened at the time. And our hope and our vision uh, was that we would just show up with uh, a loaf of bread and a Bluetooth speaker um, and that we would just sit and, and break bread together and have conversations about recovery, have conversations about faith. Um, and out of that, uh, something amazing happened. Uh, so three years later, um, and we've gone from that simple gathering uh, to about 12 different gatherings and expressions, opportunities for people to connect with others in faith, connect with others in recovery. And this beautiful ministry has just happened. Uh, you know, people ask me, what, what, is, what is the table? What, what's that like? And, um, and so I always point them back. There's a, a story when the Israelites are in the desert and they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're just dying and, uh, for hunger and for thirst. And, and in the midst of all that, God provides a source of sustenance for them and it falls from the sky and they call it manna. Uh, it's interesting, uh, 
that the word manna is actually a complete sentence in Hebrew. Um, and it means, what is it? See, because they lacked language to adequately articulate that which they were experiencing. They didn't have words to describe the abundance of God that they were observing in that moment. And so when people ask me what the table is, I just say manna. It's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to define because whether we are in uh, our two different nursing homes, whether we're uh, in the jails, whether we're in the recovery center, whether we're in the Salvation Army, whether we're on the street, whether we're at the park, whether we're at the library, whether we're on Zoom, uh, no matter where we are or what we're doing, we're shining light and we're reminding others that there is a way out. There's something really beautiful and redemptive um, about this truth that when we show up, God shows off. And so we have this really simple ministry that's been built from nothing uh, in the same way that God spoke and creation just bubbled out. Um, God spoke a word of hope over this region uh, and the table is a result of that. Uh, and it's beautiful because when people ask me what it is that I do, uh, I jokingly tell people that I'm an optometrist. Uh, because my main goal is to help others see. Because what you see shapes how you live, right? Like what your eyes observe, your brain processes, and your hands act. So what you see shapes how you live. So when we begin to see the beauty of all that God has for our lives, something changes within us. See, this area has been saturated with uh, messages and with churches, and, and there's something deeper that needs to happen in this area. And I think it's falling in love. I think it's falling in love with God. It's falling in love with purpose. It's falling in love with unity. It's falling in love with inclusion. It's falling in love with each other all over again. You know, there's a distinctive moment when I fell in love with my wife. It was the third date that we had, and we we're eating sushi in the rain uh, on some bleachers at Sugar Hollow Park. And it was like my eyes were opened, and I said, This is it. This is what I want. Uh, and I never looked back. She wrecked me for everybody else. And, and that's, that's our hope in our ministry is that we would help people to see the beauty in the world. Uh, there's a moment uh, in, the, in the movie, the, the Beauty and the Beast, uh, where Belle sees something in the beast that she didn't see there before. And it's this moment of awakening. And that's really what we're trying to facilitate is not the beauty and the beast, but the beauty in the beast to, to help uh, the people of our ministry to see the beauty in others and to respond to that by showing them the beauty of God. And so we look forward to the weeks that we have ahead and being able to not just unpack more of more of our story, more of our ministry, more stories of recovery, opportunities to connect with resources. Guys, there is so much out there um, that is is beautiful and noble and true and pure. And we can't wait for this journey to continue. So I thank you so much for your for this opportunity to, to just be here with you guys. Um, because something happens when we can just be who we are, where we are. And so I appreciate you letting me be vulnerable today, being open today. And I'll share more uh, about my story, more about our ministry in the episodes to come. And my hope today was just that we would get to know each other. Uh, so I thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Come to the Table uh, on WEHC 90.7 and Wise FM 90.5. I really hope that it's been an encouragement to your recovery or perhaps created in you a curiosity of what it means to live into a radical new mindset of selfless service to others. 
If you'd like to know more about our ministry or perhaps to receive coaching on how you can more faithfully walk with others in their time of need, I would love to connect with you and pour into you. If you're interested in recovery resources for yourself or someone that you know or someone that you family member or, or someone, if, if you're interested in those resources, if you're interested in creating intentional spaces for spiritual growth, you can reach out to us at thetablebristol117.com or www.thetableministries.com. Friends, I want to tell you that you don't have to walk this road alone, that hope and redemption Beauty from ashes, light from dark are all closer than you know. So I want to close and just say grace and peace to you, my friend. Thanks for listening.